society's changed and back in the day kids might be playing eight ten hours of football three four times a week and and the idea of street football you know just going out and playing with their mates down the park now we possibly get kids for one two hours a week but what we can do is make it a fun enjoyable experience because our first response is to make sure they come back what do kids enjoy games so the the biggest question coaches everywhere get asked is when we having a game well that might be a clue for us as adults to say well sometimes follow the wisdom of kids Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Our guests today are Mark Lee and Simon Millington, who both work in coach development for the FA down in the southeast. The three of us sat down and recorded this episode in the summer during a get-together with our grassroots team. It was great fun to spend time with these two as we work at opposite ends of the country. In this episode, we focus mainly on practice, looking to the returns players might get from different types of practice, and offer some practical advice on how you might plan and review your practices. Think you'll like this episode if you're a coach who has to plan your own sessions, and especially if you work with young players in the foundation phase. Since this episode was recorded, our colleague Pete Sturgis has launched the England DNA Foundation Phase, which is an incredible free resource accessible to anyone on Hive Learning. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, and we also have an episode coming up with Pete to discuss the Foundation Phase DNA in more depth. So enjoy this one with Mark and Simon. Simon Milliton, Mark Lee, welcome to the podcast. We are here at St George's Park and we've had a great day with our grassroots coaching unit uh, looking at UA for B content. We've been spent the afternoon playing practicals on the indoor 3G there and looking at you two, I honestly thought I was watching Tony Adams and Paul Gascoigne in their prime and then the ball started rolling. Um, so we'll get cracking with the interview or the, the conversation. Simon, county coach developer for Kent. Talk us through what a typical week might look like in your role. Well, there's no such thing as a typical week in this role, which is uh, fantastic. One week you could be delivering a, a level one, the next week a level two. Seeing lots of variety, lots of different people from all different walks of life, uh, in situ support visits. So the variety is absolutely fantastic for this role. And it's all about trying to develop coaches to help their players get better. So uh, it, it doesn't feel like a, a job at all, really. It really feels like um, a privilege to go out and try and help these people uh, develop their kids in the best way that they can. Mark, same question. Can you tell us what a typical week might look like for you? So you're regional coach development manager for the South East. Yep. Um, thanks, Jack. Um, yeah, I'd agree with Simon. So lot of variety, a uh, lot of different stuff. But uh, typically our role would fall into um, delivering coach education courses, levels one, two and three, predominantly for grassroots audience. Some people from the programme would, would occasionally be on those courses. Um, supporting the tutor delivery. 
um, and then supporting coaches and clubs out in the community um, you know in terms of uh, either licensed coaches club events CPD events opportunities to see example practice sessions um, from experienced coaches and uh, probably the the biggest uh, and best change that's happened within the FA in the last 12-18 months is the fact that the, the courses now are blended so rather than turning up being told what to do and how to do it it's very much more personalised um, which means a lot of our time is spent going and watching coaches work in their own environment which for me is fantastic because it's real and it adds a great deal of depth uh, and colour to the coaching conversations that would typically take place on course um, not that the information and the, and the feedback we're getting from the courses is not valuable I think it's massively so but but the idea of actually personalizing the learning and seeing real sessions in their own environment is probably the best thing that I enjoy about my job talk us through how you got to where you are so when did you start coaching places where you were and give us some of the brief highlights um, up to your current role yeah I think I first started coaching in black and white it was that long ago so um, um, so like most people started out playing the game uh, loved the game um, didn't quite make the grade as a, as a player um, came close spent two or three years um, you know associate schoolboy back in the day and YTS player um, but wasn't going to ever make a living as a football player um, the next best thing probably was to coach so I was fortunate that I was guided by my parents to, to get involved at a young age so started coaching my brother's under 11 team at 16 um, that then led to an interest in um, sports sports science degree so started coaching grassroots under 11s age 16 um, progressed at 19 so that was while I was still playing um, 1920 sports science degree um, teacher training qualification spent five years teaching in a secondary school in the, on the south coast um, near Brighton um, then fortunate enough to um, have the opportunity to go and work for Adidas running all of their schools programs grassroots coaching programs um, fantastic experience met a lot of really experienced coaches broadened my horizons um, eventually um, came back into coach education running my own business for 10 years working as an affiliate tutor for the FA um, level ones level twos the youth award courses um, and then uh, uh, three years ago um, was fortunate enough to get offered a full-time position with the FA and, and as Simon said it's not really a job it's it's a hobby that plays um, basically so so yeah that's my story same question Simon tell us how you ended up where you are places where you were when you first started coaching well uh, I was on a, a bricklaying course and um, it was absolutely freezing cold one one uh, winter and I thought this isn't for me I'm not made for this so I said well, what do I really love and it was football coaching uh, and being in and around football so I took my FA prelim and that started the journey um, and then like most young coaches at 21 um, I was trying to expedite my journey to uh, a youth team position as quickly as possible so uh, I was looking to get qualified as quickly as possible um, that allowed me to work at Portsmouth Community uh, Trust uh, Kingston Rovers a local team in Portsmouth that I helped work with and uh, had some great times there trying to develop young players um, I look back and cringe a little bit now at the way I was I was a bit of a boot camp Barry used to shout and scream and uh, instruct all the time um, and it wasn't until 
uh, I went traveling. I went traveling for a few years to uh, South America and Australia and there to play football. I just wanted to play football in Brazil. Um, and I had some wonderful times there. And it was like, well, what do I really want from this? You know, what, what, why am I involved in football? What's my, my love? And it was like, I want to, as, as best I can, develop young players. So I went to live in London with, with Fulham Football Club Foundation. And that's where I started to work with um, disengaged teenagers because uh, it was a lot bigger challenge. Um, and how do you get them people involved in sessions? Um, and but still with the, the the dream of being a youth team manager somewhere, um, but several knockbacks, you start to question whether I've got the stuff. Can I make it? And like Mark says, fortunate enough now that the FA gave me a role previously. I used to work as a Vauxhall youth officer, which pursued re-engaging teenagers who dropped out of the game. Um, but then the the the, 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 the the coach education part came along and it was a fantastic opportunity to influence more people to try and stop them teenagers dropping out in the first place. How could we work on setting the right environment that they'd want to stay in the game as long as they could rather than drop out? Um, so that's really what's brought me to where I am today and it's it shaped my thoughts and philosophy on why I do what I do. Um, I suppose I'm a little bit of an idealist in how I see things and how they should be structured. I know that doesn't suit everyone, but for me it works quite well and uh, I'm hoping that the messages I pass on to people inspires them to really help their, their young players develop better. I want to pick up on a couple of things that you mentioned there. The main course of this episode is going to be around practice design and what are the ingredients that may make up effective practice design but I can't let you off the hook without probing around your experiences in Brazil so tell us what what you learnt out there um, give us a bit of an insight as to what, what your experiences were I started off in Peru because um, I wanted to go and do the Inca Trail so wherever you went I wanted to try and pick up a game <coughs> so um, a place called uh, oh, I can't even remember it it's the mouth of the Amazon and there's a little a village town there and you can play street football so it's a pound each or the equivalent of 10 centavos and winner stays on so we were playing street football under the street lights met a local guide he introduced me we went down to play and that was the real crux of it i wanted to go and explore and play football in lots of different places across south america so beach football in the amazon playing you know, next to the river down to Copacabana and then into Argentina and Uruguay um, to get a, an understanding of how they approach football, what their passions were. And the difference I noticed there that when they talked about football, when they spoke about it, it was everywhere. And they went into a lot more detail than the discussions I had back in, in England. It seemed like it was their pure culture was, how do we um, overcome this problem, that problem? And obviously the debates about the manager and success and everything else. But they seem to talk about football from a younger age with younger people and try and educate them a little bit around the game. I think that leads to some of the gamesmanship we see in international football. Uh, and the, it was polar opposites. You played Brazilians, they'd fall over. You played Argentinians and it was a, a good battle, which is more suited to the English style back then. Um, so it, it was... It was a real learning curve for me in relation to, well, 
I've, I've got a different experience of football now. It's not just the perspective I've got from my development back in England. There is other ways, there is different approaches, which triggered in me, well, do I know as much as I, I, I think I know? Fascinating stuff there. One of the th- I haven't heard the word winner stays on or the phrase winner stays on for a long time and it's just reminded me of back to my own school days when we went to a youth club on a Friday night and we played in a little school hall and it got so competitive it'd be roasting hot in there and it and you were literally fighting for your your right to to play um we're gonna as we travel through the podcast we're going to look into the sorts of things that may motivate players and may keep them engaged within our practice design but that that did remind me of those days mark we first met i think it was about four years ago and we were delivering a course together down in your neck of the woods. That's right. East Grinstead, module three. Yeah. Remember it to this day. Yeah. And Still I Still got the scars. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember you taking the the learners on the course through a process of, of planning and you opened my eyes with, with some of the the methods in which you got the learners to think about their practice design. What were some of the early experiences that you've had and how has your view on practice design changed as your coaching journey has gone along? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Simon said he cringed and I would actually, when he first started, <clears throat> in terms of some of the things he did. Um, and I think we're all a product of our experience and experiences and, and probably my generation certainly brought up in the uh, 70s um, was very much when we want your opinion, we'll give it to you. Um, so I started coaching, I was still playing as a YT at my local club, Northampton Town at the time, um, trained in the morning on a Friday um, and copied verbatim that practice on a Friday evening with a bunch of 9 and 10 and 11 year olds and spoke to them in the same way that we were spoken to by the coaches in the professional academy, which I'm sure everybody can imagine what that was like. It certainly wasn't a dialogue or a discussion. Um, you know, it, it was do this, do this now because. Um, and that's how I first started. And what was interesting about that was it was very well received in terms of the technical information I was giving over. And the parents thought it was good and it was structured. Um, and at the time, I took that um, and that inspired me to carry on. But I look back now and embarrassing, really, in the sense that totally inappropriate content, totally inappropriate um, methodology. So the the why you're doing it, the how you're doing it, and 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 the what you're doing, um, probably embarrassing. You know, if I look back on that now, but um, was probably better than what the kids had experienced in terms of some kind of structure. Um, and again, obviously, you go on from there and, and you do different things. And again, approach to games was very competitively driven. So it's interesting. We go through a transformation over a period of years and we forget what we were like. And then we talk to coaches and why is this coach behaving like this? And it's conversation with the guy the other night. Um, I think a lot more now about involving the kids in the discussion. Um, I'd never done that previously. And we just talked about why that was. His experience in school, very strict do this, do this now, um, and played in senior football, senior non-league. And I asked him the question, at half-time when the gaffer's given the team talk, did it ever occur to you to say, well, hang on a minute, we think this, we think something different because we're out on the pitch? And in a respectful way, and the answer was no. Um, and I won't repeat the exact words he said, but the gist was, 
do it my way or or you're up the road um and i think that's you know we've moved a long way from that and it's for me always about balance isn't it so i think um different approaches different ways of engaging players um but again there's still that element of there are times when a structured detail practice is what's required so i, th I guess the right practice for the right player or players at the right time would, would be my approach if you like um other than that try and keep it simple have very few templates so i work predominantly with five to eleven year olds foundation phase and probably have five favorite practices and they're not actually five practices they're five templates which i might have six eight variations of um so you know within that you've probably got 30 or 40 variations but very simple themes and i think that's really helpful for coaches and really helpful for players so and again, internet's brilliant, uh, technology's brilliant, Twitter, Facebook, sharing sharing information. But I sometimes think as coaches, we can get bogged down in content as opposed to so this is the what I'm going to do as opposed to the why and the how I'm going to do it. So I would again, you know, I'd caution that. Do you need another 28 passing practices or will the five or six you've got be good enough to teach them the game? Simon, Mark mentioned that there about us being a product of our experiences. I remember back to when I was a youth playing football and our stable training session was a couple of laps of the pitch. We would then do what we called shuttles. They know them, I think, down in your neck of the woods as doggies, just sprints, suicides, if you're from the other, yeah. from the States. We would then get in a line of about 16 players deep pass the ball into the coach and have a shot at goal sometimes it would hit the target sometimes if it was me it would probably end up in the field I'd have to then go and get it give the ball back and join the back of the queue and if we were lucky and we behaved we might just get a match at the end and that continued through to my early involvement as a player in adult football and I can probably sense a lot of listeners nodding their heads in agreement here do you think that this this is a process that Mark explained there that most coaches need to go through and break free from where they may start with practices that they were brought up on or a diet of practice that they were fed as a player when they first started coaching. I think it's um, like a comfort blanket. It's what they know, it's where they've, um, what they've experienced. So they have nothing to... And compare it with so going back to what I said before my eyes were open when I travelled a little bit uh, and on the beaches of Brazil they're playing foot volley which is volleyball with their feet and it's two touch and they play on deep sand and you think the returns of playing on them surfaces and that game starts to give you different uh, technical outcomes um, because I used to really believe that um, decontextualised drills where I send the ball to you, you control it, get it down, send it back, was really helping young people nail down the technique that they could then take into the game. As I've progressed through my journey and I've been exposed to different um, mediums to gather information, I start to go, well, it doesn't make sense to me because when you execute a technique in the game, you have to use a different variety of skills so where's the ball coming from? What am I going to use? Where do I want to send it to? What will I do after? So before, during and after stuff is where coaches need to think about what do I want my players to do with the ball in those stages? 
So when I started to think about, well, it needs to be in the context, I would start to think, well, I need to provide them with games or game-related practices where the execution of that will be higher. And as Mark's alluded to, there is times where you can definitely go back into a constant-type practice, high repetition for certain players, because you, if you play lots of games, you might not get the repetition of the practice or the theme that you're after, and it's striking that balance, and it's the right practice, as Mark said, for the right players at the right time. And it's a real skill to try and pitch where that is, but I think that has to be based on analysis of your players and having an understanding of where they're at developmentally in relation to agility, balance, coordination and speed and cognitively. What can they actually do? What can they execute at the moment? Am I asking too much of them? Are my expectations too high? Uh, and then trying to pitch it somewhere in there. And it does take time. You cannot cut corners. Unfortunately, it's not one of them things that can be just transplanted into your brain. You have to go out. And I think we'd, we'd all agree we've had lots of failures out on the grass. We don't deliver perfect sessions. So we are, you know, always scratching our head about, well, I delivered that same practice to the, a different group of players yesterday. And it hasn't worked for this group of players today. And that's the environment that you're working in, the mood of the players that day, how your mood is affecting them. And it could just be the small interventions that you've used and now starting to work differently because these people don't respond to that. And it's trying to think, okay, what do these people respond to? Okay. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd just pick up on something that Sai said there in terms of the before, during and after. I think that's um, a, a great uh, almost framework or structure to help grassroots coaches um, in terms of understanding uh, and just to explain that for anybody that might not know um, what does a player do before they get the ball so looking to create space looking to find find space um, uh, in order to receive or take players away from the play um, what do they do when they've got the ball so that would be the during you know whether it's run with it pass shoot dribble turn whatever it may be and then what happens next so the after but then the after also becomes the before and I think what that alludes to really is the decision making so again society's changed and you know back in the day kids might be playing eight ten hours of football three four times a week and and the idea of street football you know just going out and playing with their mates down the park now we possibly get kids for one two hours a week um probably down to the individual to develop their own technical skills with contacts on the ball we can support that to some degree so then we go back to, well, if I get the players one, two hours a week, and I picked this up when I was a teacher, so secondary school teacher, I get six hours a year to teach them hockey or football or basketball. Realistically, I'm not going to improve their technical abilities dramatically in that time. But what we can do is make it a fun, enjoyable experience because our first response is to make sure they come back the following week. So that's massive. What do kids enjoy? Games. So the, the biggest question coaches everywhere get asked is, when we having a game? Well, that might be a clue for us as adults to say, well, sometimes follow the wisdom of kids and say, that's what they want. Let's look at elements of giving them that. But if we are going to break down a practice to, to some core elements, then that element of decision making within there somewhere is key for me. And at the higher levels of the game, the technical abilities aren't that 
much different. You take outliers like Messi, Ronaldo out of the picture. It's the ability to make key decisions in tight areas. In, in it, it, you know, it, when the muck and bullets are flying in the game, that's that's absolutely key. So, I think that's that's fantastic. And if you look at um, Simon's experience in Brazil, you know, best football nation on the planet, arguably. Um, you know, their kids play out in the streets all day but then they have nothing else so on the one hand they produce great footballers on the other hand for our children I don't think we'd wish for the, the lack of life chances and opportunities they get but how do we then recreate that magic and that enjoyment and that freedom to, to express yourself in a game with your mates without the undue influence of an adult um, and I think that would be a, a key message that I've adapted and changed it in the way that I run my coaching sessions. It's more about them than it is about me. This, uh, this links back, this point I think links back to um, my previous role with how do we get disengaged teenagers who've dropped out of the game back into the game and what do they want from their, their, their footballing experience. And um, Paul Holder at the time, who used to work for the FA, uh, is now the academy director at Brighton. When he did some uh, CPD with us, he said, well, look, these kids just want to play the game. But they've also expressed through the research that they want to get better at playing the game. So you have to devise practice types where they're playing the game, a small-sided version of it, um, on a five-a-side pitch, but will lead itself or lend itself to them being constrained or directed by the practice to try and get better at a certain type. So one of the practices that we used to do, um, and I think I've seen Ben Bartlett use it quite a lot, who works at the FA, is the number of passes you make and then you score will be your team's score. So I've just adapted that sometimes to help me get them to focus on penetration or passing forward. So it's only forward passes will count and then the score. So then players are starting to solve the problems, well how do we get the, the, the ball forward? What do I need to do with my body? So going to the before, during and after stuff, what does the run look like? When do I make that run? How do I receive? What does my friend do when I do that? But I haven't had to be explicit with that information. I haven't had to say, do this now. They've started to solve their problems by going through experience of, well, I probably ran too close to my friend there and that wasn't good. Maybe I should stay out of the way and to give him a pass to come back to me if that's the most appropriate thing to do. Um, and we saw the evidence of it when we got the teenagers in the numbers started to grow and they were loving the games and they, they would then be in a position to start creating their own we could start saying to them well look you've seen the format of what we've produced um, surely you can come up with something yourselves and they would start to chip in and go well maybe we could have this rule or maybe we could have this type of finish and then you just go with that and see how it worked now if it didn't work or it wasn't particularly successful, then it, it was being in a relaxed environment to go, okay, let's change it. It doesn't really matter. You know, we're working in a recreational uh, arena. We want people to have fun, experiment, pr practice stuff, and hopefully get better over time. And it's not having expectations to see um, them improve immediately, because you have to have an understanding. You can't see immediate improvement when working with young people because their journey is inconsistent and you know twisty and turny it doesn't just go in straight lines so you have to be patient and I would say when 
designing practices. Grassroots coaches uh, or any coach needs to just be patient in regards to well, what do I want these players to actually be better at in the long term? What what's the the, the final? What's the end game? It's funny that you mentioned Paul Holder there because Paul is somebody who's probably had the biggest impact on me in a short period of time as a coach. I was lucky enough to spend four days with him back in around 2008 at Lancashire FA and I came away from that place with my head in a complete mess um, in a good way and he in such a short period of time made me think completely different about what I was doing why I was doing it how I designed practice and, and led me on a on a different trajectory I suppose I want to go back to Mark something that you said earlier on around well firstly when you mentioned about your you started playing in black and white I found my first youth football photograph my first team photo recently and I'm shocked to say it was in black and white which was <laughs> unfortunate um I want to look into some of the challenges that coaches face out there and maybe some of the pressures or things that might influence their practice design that maybe they don't want to. Once we tackle that, I want to start to give the listeners some insight into where they might start, what processes they might go through to start to create practices from scratch rather than having to rely on external sources. But you reminded me of the, my first experiences of planning my own or, or trying to draw upon sources for my own practice design. And I would literally buy books from a library, open them up, go through page by page. And I would look at, the first thing I would do was look at the number of players in the diagram. And if that number matched the number of players in my squad, then I wouldn't discard it. Otherwise, I would turn the page. And nowadays, with like you say, with the internet and the amount of information that's freely accessible to coaches out there, um, it can be quite problematic for for coaches to to sift through and realise why they're doing what they're doing. Another pressure I felt earlier on in my coaching journey was the pressure from the sidelines so the parents watching their their children and I felt as though my practice had to be neat and tidy and clean and in lines and look good and always having success so that I would almost get that nod of approval from the parents is this something that you resonate with is this something that you see with the coaches you work with massively um, and just picking up at that point uh, practice needs to be organised, structured, straight lines look good. So that's about us and that's about the parents, not about the players. So one of the biggest changes in my coaching over the last seven, eight years um, is a direct result of um, the youth awards and the fact that I don't have to be perfect. So I came from the mindset that as the coach, I need to be in control of everything and I need to be almost word perfect in my delivery and what it looks like. And and actually that's just totally unrealistic. That's not gonna happen. Um, the second thing to say there is um, coaching isn't easy. Um, you, you, you're on stage, you're in front of an audience. It has the potential to go wrong quite quickly. Um, so for anybody, coaching isn't easy. Um, so give yourself a break as a coach sometimes. Um, 
particularly so if you're a volunteer grassroots coach that has other commitments and your main motivation for turning up weekend week in week out come rain or shine for at least 10 months of the year is just to provide a nice opportunity for for the young players in your community so and i think sometimes we get carried away with with the detail and over overlook the fact that for a vast majority of coaches they just want to provide opportunities for young players and where that takes the young players you know who knows but some will just play and enjoy the game some will move into coaching some might make it to the to the highest echelons of the game um, but it's all built off the back of the willing efforts of volunteers so that's my my starting point is is understand the context and and the difficulties they face um, the second thing probably or sorry the next thing probably um, we're having that much fun I can't keep count of, uh, of my points I think it's the third <coughs> thing actually if anybody's counting um, <coughs> is, is, is this idea that um, planning takes time and that's a precious resource for volunteer coaches for all coaches so sometimes certainly in my early years and, and, and also today occasionally the first time you get a chance to think about the session is when you're driving to it um, and that's the reality so so that would be the case the other thing is there's a lot of pressure um, in terms of what perceptions of the coach should be doing and I'll give you an example I did a session uh, recently under nine players working with the coaches so my role was to support the coaches and we looked at some ideas they did some good stuff doing a lot of good stuff but just needed some the next impetus to, to say well what else how can we improve these practices so because they're under nines they didn't particularly need to warm up we started by playing games across the pitch turn up and play there's a bit put it on what that meant was kids would get there on time because there's a reason to get there on time um it's meant that kids were getting different experiences with their mates so it's just me playing with my mates um they'd get different overloads so me and side turn up 1v1 jack arrives 2v1 somebody else comes in 2v3 so you're getting different experiences you can set up different conditions on each pitch and the other thing is i think as you say um if i, I need 12 players for this session and if i don't get 12 i'm sending everybody home because I, I i'll struggle to know what to do and adapt on the fly which again is something that takes time and practice and experience versus the kids are playing the kids are having a nice time that frees the coach up to then have a look and go well i was hoping to get 12 but i've only got nine now i can start to think about what am i going to do differently um things like what the kids are like when they get there so speak to coaches recently saturday morning's practice is great because the kids are engaged they've had some sleep and these are working with under 12s by the way might be different as they get a bit older um during the week we tend to keep things simple because they've had a long day at school and physically and mentally they can't cope with too much complexity so that was great insight from the coaches and again it's something we overlook um but so the kids are playing um <clears throat> what that does is give by this the coach a bit of time to think on their feet and say well actually what am i going to do next and the answer is if the games are going well well nothing for a while let the kids play the kids never heard kids go this is rubbish because we're playing a game when when we're going to do a, a line drill for example um I, I you know i stand to be corrected by anybody out there that, that has had that but i've certainly never experienced it um you can also look at the mood of the kids so you know we talk about the technical and 
tactical aspects of the game because that's our focus uh, as professionals that work at the FA and have a responsibility for educating coaches. But there's also other aspects in terms of the first thing is let's develop some good people. So let's look at the social interaction. Is this child being bullied? Is this child uh, need bringing down a peg or two for want of a better phrase? Um, it's probably not the right phrase, but you know, do we need to challenge this child differently? How do we support this child that struggles psychologically? How do we help this child that's gone through a little dip in performance lately, or their pets just died? Sounds ridiculous when we're, we're talking about the development of football in this country, but that's the reality for young players and the coaches that have to interact with them. Um, so back to the story um, 20 minutes ago. Um, <coughs> We then decided to put on a practice where it was a 3v2 or a 4v3 attacking game. Kids could choose. They played the game. We gave them a couple of pointers here and there, but played a lot. Um, said to the coaches, we're now coming towards the end of the session. Last 15 minutes, you've got a decision to make. Practice is going really well. Do you continue? Or do we now go back into some kind of game? Because that will conclude it nicely. And the coach said, what should we do? And I said, well, you could ask the kids. And longish story slightly shorter um, they said can we do that I said yeah so they didn't know that was an option available to them I said yeah let's just ask the kids um, half the group said we want to play a game the other half said we want to continue with the practice the coaches looked at me and said what do we do now I said that um, coaches thought it was brilliant kids thought it was brilliant which it's not about me but that was quite pleasing you know to, to a job well done which we all enjoy which is why we get into coaching to help people enjoy and be better um came back the next week they said um hope you don't mind we asked the parents what they thought of the session and i laughed because i knew what was coming and i said what did they say they said wasn't a lot of coaching going on and i said depends on your view of coaching if your view of coaching is i'm always the center of attention then agree there wasn't maybe a better question is was there a lot of interaction and enjoyment and learning going on now that's a difficult one to answer because as i said learning is not linear it's messy it's complicated hard to judge because you can't physically see it always um but i think that would be you know my perception on it in terms of you know where we where we might look to um almost for want of a better, better phrase and it's a bit of a cliche give the game back to the kids a little bit but within that recognise that the pendulum so, shouldn't swing so far that as coaches the message is you don't coach you don't do anything you just stand there and facilitate um, because the t facilitation is sometimes the right thing to do but sometimes players and grass coaches have a thirst for that knowledge they want to improve they want to be better and it's that balance isn't it how many times do I watch a child get it wrong before I go actually I've got a bit of knowledge can come up with a better way and sometimes that will be stage in the learning process um, you know it, it will be time available so anecdote my daughter's 17 now she can tie her own shoelaces big big plus for me as a parent well done um, when she was three she couldn't so some mornings we would spend 20 minutes going through the process of meticulously trying and failing and frustrating. Other mornings would be sit there, put those on, I'll tie them up, get in the car. One of the big differences was time available. If it's a school day and we're running late, I'm going to deal with that for you. Um, so again, it, it's the context and, and what we want the outcome to be. So no problem helping people in the short term. Um, but understanding where that leads them to in the long term. Um, I think um, linked to that, I know it's quite popular at the moment, um, letter to my younger self. Um, 
And if I was to give my younger self some advice, it would reiterate what Mark said. The first thing I would ask them is, why are the kids there? What do they want from this? What do they want from me? What do they enjoy? Uh, and what do they want to get better at? Because I think it, as long as you've got an understanding of why they're there, what do they want to get better at, you've got a start point. You've got something that if, if they enjoy shooting, finishing, um, and that's big for them, then why not give it to them? From a coaching perspective, if they're your team and you want them to get better at defending, you just dress up an attacking practice uh, or a defensive practice as an attacking practice. You're going to say, well, we need um, some people in there to make it harder for us to score goals because that's what we'll encounter at the weekend. And then you get some volunteers to go in there and you'll say, look, we can rotate around this. Everyone will have an experience of finishing, passing, defending, saving goals. So we all get to understand what we enjoy um, because I think a lot of young people get pigeonholed too quickly by their coaches or their parents. Um, you're quite tall or I played in goal so you're playing goal or you're a defender, you're fast, you can go up front. Um, and it's that pigeonhole of kids way, way too young. You know, I see it under, under sixes, sevens, they're, they're making decisions on young people based on their physical um, stature. And it's like, well, you don't know what this child's of, um, able to achieve. So why would you um, start to pigeonhole them and go, I think you're a fullback, I think you're a centre-back, and that's the only place you're ever going to play for me. Um, and it, uh, the other point that Mark made about putting on a show um, for the parents. Um, I, I read an interesting research paper by Robin Jones around coaching face and um, that really brought it to life for me that you end up putting on a show for the parents and if you work in some environments it could be your employer. Your employer wants you to be demonstrative, instruct, where if we're saying that we want kids to be really good problem solvers or decision makers, we rob them of that opportunity through instructing all the time from the sideline and I see it a fair bit in my role where there's coaches on the side trying to talk children through a game um, and like Mark said his, his, his daughter now is 17 she can do her own shoelaces you know would there have been any benefit for her if he just constantly talked to her every day about how to do it how to do it how to, or would he be better saying look I've shown you a couple of ways you work out how to do it for yourself um, because I think ultimately as people who want to help kids understand football we need to give them problems to solve um, related to the game and this should be easy for grassroots coaches because they would see problems every time their team play they would see areas where they think I wish we were a little bit better at this I wish we could combine better with um, within midfield so that might be the start point for where their session would be the you know started or when they're starting to think about well what do I want from tonight's session as Mark said if you haven't got the planning time if you know that the problem is we want to get better at playing in midfield place your practice where that would happen ask your players um, why are we not being successful at combining in midfield and then let them have a go at trying to see if they could come up solutions for why they're not doing it so well and then if they can't give you um, clear pictures of success that's where a coach might go in and think about well here's a question that might get you to consider have you gone in too soon 
have you killed your mate's space what's the angle what's the distance uh, and I know there are things with a little bit more detail that they'll get a level two and level three courses but they're simple questions that if they ask their players their players would give them a response and it's not always verbalizing that response it's okay look you've come up with some brilliant stuff show me see if we can execute it out on the pitch and um, I was first introduced to this by um, a book I read by Lynn Kidman athlete-centered coaching and um, she was working with more elite perform performers in New Zealand but I could see there was real relevance to grassroots players anywhere it's just look we're struggling to get the ball into the goal from wide areas so let's practice on that who's got solutions ideas for how we could do that and then the players start to take ownership of what they want to get better at they will come up with solutions around where to deliver how to deliver and it's easy to see from the practice if they're not being successful because they'll lose the ball the other team will gain it and then go and try and score in their goal so then they have to try and work out well how could we do this better and I think what she used to do and I've seen Ben Bartlett do it very well is start to give some of them players challenges around certain elements of the game and it could be Mark when that ball's being crossed in where could you go to could you attack the near post could you attack the far post once you've got there and the ball's arrived what could you do differently and then that player just experiments and practices working out ways of timing the run based on the, the the triggers that the game is giving them and their colleagues and the opposition are which you know decontextualized practices like I've mentioned before don't really give you them returns that would help them develop further just for full disclosure for the listeners uh, Mark had to run off to the loo just after he finished speaking then so you filled in for him perfectly there Simon you gave him enough time to get back in the and work his way back into the <coughs> conversation <laughs> a couple of things I want to touch on that you mentioned there Simon uh, and it reminds me of a phrase that one of our colleagues Pete Sturgis uses quite a lot when he's talking about practice design and certainly working with young players is disguised hard work so I haven't met too many players young players who are let's say mini soccer age under 10 and below who come to me and go Jack really want to work on defending tonight hmm. but what you can do like you said is if we if we arrange the practice in the right way they might be working they will be working or practicing defending but without you necessarily letting them know that that's the complete focus of of the session a term i've picked up from mark previously on courses is the hidden curriculum so you already know what you want them to achieve but you dress up the practice with a focus that is what they enjoy um, but it will also help them get better so they can see the benefits from two sides i enjoy doing this so i'll work quite hard to do it um, because it's not a chore and i know that there's certain elements to it that I want to get better at because I want to be the best footballer I can be. So I will apply myself in relation to challenging myself to do things that are harder. Because I think it's vital that if we're going to get young people to um, develop, they have to be challenged just beyond where they're currently at. It has to be just above where they're at. Um, and it will, if, if you give it the enjoyable spin, you dress it up in a way that they um, really want to engage in they will work tirelessly 
um, like we used to when we used to go over the park and just have pick up games with our friends um, but we're there where we can accelerate that learning a little bit where we had we would just play we can almost probe and challenge a little bit to get them to come to solutions a bit quicker than maybe we were afforded um, which for me is vital that they need to self-discover almost so we've looked at some of the challenges that coaches may commonly face when they're faced with design and practice going back you mentioned a constraint or sorry a, a reward type practice that you picked up off our colleague Ben number of passes you make equals number of goals and so on and I compare and contrast that to a common restriction that coaches place on their practices which is everyone's got to touch the ball before you score a goal done with the best of intentions but can often create those unrealistic scenarios where little Johnny or little Jane is the last player who hasn't touched the ball and the team out of possession go we know you can't score so we're going to swarm that player there thank you very much for the ball back what are some of the other common mistakes or pitfalls that both of you see coaches making when designing practice often done with the best of intentions but with maybe not the outcomes that they were looking for okay so firstly i can't believe you've outed me for nipping the loo all i can do is apologize to listeners secondly is simon ben bartlett's agent because that's like three mentions now so uh, you know he, he's good but there are limits um <clears throat> no all, all joking aside um i've forgotten what i was going to say now um what was the question i think you know people talk about um be careful of uh, making statements in practice or instructions to players always must never can't um because you want that freedom and again there, there are times when we see sessions you know playing through the thirds where players will be locked in for a certain amount of time so an understanding from the coach of why that's being done and early in the session to help establish structure and shape um i think the big one for me is particularly as players develop some knowledge and understanding um is be mindful of a practice uh where a player says but i would never do that in a game that that or that situation would never or extremely rarely happens in a game um, and I think um, Steve Holland the Chelsea first team coach and now England um, you know coach senior coach um, talked to, talked about um, trying to start trying not to stray too far away from the game um, and I think that would be a good methodology so keep it simple related to the game um, and and again sometimes if, if you're struggling as a coach to go well where do I take this practice what do I do with it ask the players what we overlook and forget is that the players experience other good coaches and if you and again the interesting thing for me is if if you have the players best interests at heart and it comes back to this control thing we're fearful sometimes of saying I don't know well if your methodology and your approach is to be always on the player's case when they make a mistake and they get things wrong and if that's your style then I think you're probably not going to be able to make a mistake or open up yourself because the first time you do that players are going to give you some of that back but if you are genuinely working with the best interest of the player's heart and, and you can do it together there might be times where you say to the players well what do you think 
you know what can we do differently here and they might come up with some good suggestions so then it's a win-win because everybody gets a better practice that you can take forward in your coaching journey and the, and the players can as well um, so yeah th those would be um, some key things for me uh, and again I think uh, you know we talked about the internet and that that's a brilliant resource um, but there's two aspects to that that I would caution against one is just downloading content without understanding the why what am I focusing on tonight um, you know because there can be a scattergun approach to um, under 11s we're coaching a session it's meant to be around passing and receiving so we would praise good play regardless um, but we might just restrict our comments you know in terms of our, any, any critical comments or advice or feedback to just that topic as opposed to and I worked with an under 10 coach once lovely great coach uh, very enthusiastic um, but within three minutes of the practice starting was you can't edit your shoot's not right your goal and I said well, hang on a minute I said they're, they're 10 they won't get all of it right all of the time so having a clear focus and just um, just dealing with that a session at a time as, as I think Si mentioned would, would be key um, yeah I think, think those would be some aspects for me I mean for me the point you make Jack is, is really relevant but it, on the flip side it shows that the kids are solving those problems because they've worked out oh little Johnny needs to now have his touch we can mark little Johnny which produces a new challenge for the coach because the coach now has to think of have I got a plan B have I preempted any of this and have I got something up my sleeve that you know I know that we can go in a new direction with it and also the expectations of what the practice will return sometimes people think that it's going to be all singing or dancing and it will solve all their problems and it's like well the practice will return certain things your bright children will work out the most efficient way to play the game and then if that then throws you off kilter 10 minutes into your practice do you then go okay that's it we now need to go and work on something else or do you just go like mark said right We've, we, we seem to have come to an impasse. We've come to a, a place where the, the practice isn't working as, so, as well. And just basic progressions and regressions. What could we do to make this more challenging for you? And then they can come up with their solutions. I think uh, if, the, if the, the, the coach has looked at his squad and he's done the, what do you enjoy, what do you want to get better at? All players will have something that they want to get better at within any practice. Um, but it's, it's mindfulness of, well, am I producing players to just be full-backs, to just be centre-backs, or am I encouraging them to have a rich experience of football in all the facets as they go through the different formats of the game? Um, again, just picking up size point there about um, we've reached an impasse, the thing's not quite working. I think in teaching, they call it with-itness, um, which is the ability to recognise what's coming next and nip it in the butt almost preempt what's happening next and I think one of the things I talk to coaches a lot about is try and look out for changes in tempo lots of unforced errors or changes in behavior those would be some clues that we might need to move the thing on because the kids are either uh, bored or they're, 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 they've had enough or they're, they're over challenged with this you know it, it's too much for them um, so yeah th those would be some aspects I'd look at uh, and again uh, a couple of things you can have in your back pocket um, 
what might be called energizer games so if you come to a lull and you're thinking okay this this isn't quite happening um favorite practice or favorite games that you develop and you have a repertoire um that sometimes you'll play but sometimes you'll save for that ability to energize players um so so that would be good and you can always default to a game because very rare will players you know will players um complain about that and, and again you can do that disguised by just saying right now we're going into a game and that was my plan all along or you can be open and honest with players and say look I, I didn't quite get that right I've messed that up I'll go away and have a think about it and come back next week because we've all experienced that situation where we know something's not not quite right about the practice but we don't have the mental capacity or the experience to recognize it there and then and then we drive home in the car and we think about it and we go oh yeah should have done that or somebody points that out to you as you come off the pitch and you go, yeah, you're right, but I'm not yet experienced enough at doing that again and again and again to to identify it straight away. So, um, yeah, those those would be some things that I would look at as well um, to help your practice flow well. You remind me of a session, so a session a couple of weeks ago that I had with the kids that I coach at the moment and we, were, we train on the park at the moment, summertime, uh, so we can train for an hour and a half. We've got a couple of uh, fold-up goals, nine players because it was half term, and we just played a game. It used to be on the level one. It was called Diamonds Are Forever, and I had very little uh, intervention. We uh, just tried to manage the game to get that competitive balance as close as I possibly could. As Simon just said, I suppose, trying to get that challenge to its optimal zone and the parents had to drag us off the pitch it was nearly dark by the time that we, we finished we, we ran over by so much time because the, the kids were demanding more and I came away from that session absolutely buzzing just like the kids that was a practice that I probably probably haven't delivered uh, for for several years but it just dawned on me at that moment at that night with those players it just felt right and my job was to try and get the players to that zone where they're all challenged just beyond where they're currently capable and that was just something that Simon triggered in me before you spoke about changing in tempo I want to change the tempo in this conversation right now scenario I am a I am a coach who has to plan as part of my role. So I know some coaches out there are given a curriculum. They have to follow that curriculum. But that's not me. I'm a coach who has to plan as part of my role. Where do I start? It's uh, five o'clock. I've just finished work. The session starts at six. I'm on the drive home. I haven't planned a thing. What on earth am I going to do? What sort of process can you take me through from tea to green that's going to help me to deliver effective practices and sessions okay so you just talked about diamonds are forever jack i referenced earlier um five favorite practices that would be one of them because what does it have it has um elements of the game so it's competitive it's um it it, it replicates elements of the game in terms of attack defense changes possession transition it's enjoyable and exciting because we get to score lots of goals 
it can be focused on defending it can be focused on attacking it can be focused on the goalkeepers playing out it can be focused on shot stopping it can be focused on you know th- th- there's there are a number of different focuses you could use that for um, so a couple of things I'll pick up on one is the, the the physical process of going through design and practice and I was asked this question recently on the course how and where do you start and I see lots of what I would term whizzy practices and I probably don't have enough time in the day to design practices like that but my next question to myself is why would I need to so in answer to the question how do you start to design practices typically and this may sound flippant but it's not meant to typically I will start with a rectangle and a halfway line that's that would be my default option to start with and I'll probably put a goal at either end and and I'm sure people and my players would recognize that from somewhere um, and again um, there's different formats I mean uh, again everybody else has mentioned him so I will as well Ben Bartlett um, did a article in the boot room a, a while back um, called six steps to designing effective practice and again I'm sure we can put that in the show notes I've no idea what that means but I heard Tim Ferriss say it once so it must be good um, <laughs> so anyway um, Ben Ben talked about having four very simple practice structures um, big pitch small pitch wide pitch narrow pitch he then I think he called them parameters I would call them pitch markings because um, I'm nothing if not simple um, and his pitch markings were halfway line thirds going across the pitch channels going down the pitch or a center circle or an area to play through the middle um, and then he'd do some other stuff in terms of restrict reward relate and what he means by that is uh, restrict might be you you must you can't you must play through the thirds in order to school relate try and recognize when to play through the thirds reward if you play through the thirds and score it's worth two goals so that would be a really simple approach um, you then take a, another esteemed colleague, um, former colleague now, John Olpress, who was responsible largely for um, designing the Module 3 in consultation with others. And John had a very clear process, um, decided on a focus, what we're going to work on tonight. And that could be, depending on where you work, that could be a curriculum, it could be your own ideas, it could be, I'm on my level two and I'd like to practice this. Um, it could be modern trends in the game, so, oh, people, you know, we'd like to over, overplay in midfield or, or overload the midfield in order to dominate possession, or we like to defend deep in order to counter, we've seen those elements of, of the game. Um, so some af- aspect of play, it could be, if you're in the performance zone, you're working with older, more senior players, it could be linked to what happened last Saturday or what we want to happen next Saturday so all of those are valid rationales for coming up with a focus there's not just one way to 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 get there um, decide a focus design a practice structure that supports that progress focus so if as Simon said it's it's playing in wide areas can we get opportunities to get the ball into wide areas again and again and again within that practice um, set some challenges ask some questions review progress periodically throughout the session and then at the end of that either revisit or move on to the to the next element and again something that that Paul Holder talked about um, was for us as coaches coaching curriculums are great because it helps us structure this week I'm doing passing next week I'm doing dribbling then we'll do some shooting brilliant for us as adults and coaches because it helps us think about what we're going to do week on week that's not how kids learn the game 
kids play football so we don't say on a Saturday morning right today we're away at Chelsea uh, at Stamford Bridge um, we're going to be playing we're going to be focusing on passing today okay, no we're going to focus on trying to play football today uh, and that's the reality of it so that that would be some keys for me um, something that I've been introduced to recently that I need to do a little bit more research into is interleaving and it's um, the sessions uh, that you did previously and reconnecting the players with that again at the start of your new session so going back to Mark's point about um, the practice is up and running it gives the coach thinking time so he's got that hour in the car what did we do last week who do we work with how can we then um, deliver that again this week when I've got that thinking time based on who's arrived what their moods like what they want to do um, then you should have a good platform to take the session from there uh, and it links to that program that, that Mark said if you've been working on sending and receiving the ball in certain areas of the field and it was midfield last week it could just be now that you're trying to think well what would we go next would we go midfield to attack and what does that look like and who are the players involved and what would I give them uh, individually so it's great that Mark said that you interleave give them a little chance play a game which gives you a bit more time and then that gives you the time to do um, maybe a, a more deconstructed session it could be I'm a big advocate of whole part whole coaching something that I utilize all the time and a part would be the game or the theme of the session decontextualized a little bit so it's not the pure game it could just be well we're working with midfield and attack combining so we'll place the practice in that area of the field and that these are the players who are involved and this is what I would like them to try and get better at in this segment of the session so they've had a bit of time interleaving they've had a game for 10-15 minutes then you might do 10-15 to 15 minutes on the par and breaking it down a little bit further but still it's contextualized because they've got friends they've got people involved who are posing them problems and then go back into the game to see if the, the kids have been able to apply some of the stuff that they've picked up um, back into the game format how important is it when you're working with your especially young developing players you mentioned interleaving I'm assuming that would in my language in my head that's kind of revisiting <coughs> so going back almost starting from where you finished off on the last session and trying to progress on further how important is that with the young developing player if we're trying to help them to learn the game to stick out of focus for a period of time as opposed to this is what we didn't do very well at the weekend therefore we're going to do this and can you make an argument either way for for each? Um, I, th I think reactionism, you know, and reacting to results can mean you just bounce around and it's not coherent. If you've got an idea of a plan of, well, they're under eights, I want them to be running with the ball, traveling with the ball as often as possible. So that's what predominates my sessions. And these are the individuals I would like to get even better at recognizing when and how to. Um, if you can connect back, it, ref it gives the, the players an opportunity to review what you did last week. What did they take away from it? Have they, has any of it retained? Because if you say, right, do you remember how we finished up last week's game? What the uh, challenges were at the end? 
can you set that up and run so I can have a, a look to see uh, what you've retained then the, the players will be able to show you if they have or if they haven't and then you can go okay well maybe I didn't get that across as well as I would like how could we do that better but you've also got the session where you're going to where you're going to take on oh, all right i'm going to try and build on that but we'll touch back on the stuff that we covered last week maybe around type of pass weight of pass uh, and timing of run for the the receiver um because i think if you do just react all the time it's so ad hoc you will get returns from it yeah you will but they won't give you as many returns potentially as having a, a, a nice block of work where the message is consistent through five or six weeks um, and the players getting a chance to apply those themes maybe just in different areas of the field and seeing well what does it look like in defense to midfield to attack um, and how does that affect you as the individual within it and what can you do um, to develop that but additionally it's not just the one corner we do get bogged down in the physical and the technical tacticals rather than looking at the the, the psychological and social side of players development um, and it could be if I want them to be responsible for their own development have I set them something to come back with for next week where they can take a bit of ownership of the the, the start of the practice the start of the, the session which can show me um, how they can self-manage, self-organise in relation to certain things. You may have even asked them to come up with some ideas around how to get a practice up and running, um, especially around agility, balance, coordination, speed development. I think a lot of younger, under-11 players really would benefit from that. Um, so they could come up with some fantastic tag games while you but connected to the session that then would lead you into your next bit of practice if you haven't had the time to plan as much detail as you would like to okay um i'm just to add to that um i'm certainly no expert on um skill acquisition um but you know listeners might be interested to look at the work of mark williams in liverpool john moores in this country and, and a gentleman called damian farrow at the australian institute of sport who've looked into this quite a lot uh, among other researchers and i think the the general approach to date has been um variable or random practice so we intersperse different elements so rather than doing dribbling for 20 minutes and focusing on um a step over or a matthews or beckham dribble depending on your generation um we might interleave in that with um so you dribble then you then you receive a player one two and then you get a shot off and then you have to go and defend the next one so that would be an example of more variable or random practice so i think generally speaking the research suggests that um, variable or random practice is better for long-term retention of information and I believe it's something to do with the fact that players have to consciously think about what they're doing which makes it more memorable versus I don't have to think about something because I know I'm going to be doing the same thing over and over again um, the counter argument to that particularly with young young players or beginners there is some evidence to suggest that block practice in terms of developing those neural pathways developing the mechanics in the early stages can be more beneficial than random practice so there almost needs to be recognizing where the players at in their their learning and, and their understanding and also recognizing maximizing the time available so in terms of one of the things we practice is have a clear session structure that that you stick with for a few weeks so kids arrive knowing roughly what's going to happen um, and again 
not a problem at all um you know good practice to actually dedicate a certain amount of time to individualized practice or small group work but then counter that with the benefits of what's the best use of my time when i've paid 35 quid or more for a third of the astro as a grassroots coach and i've got 14 players here so it's, it's almost understanding what's the best use of our time in that situation yeah i'm going to out simon so simon's the latest of our lavatory casualties <laughs> we'll fill in while he while he's away very unprofessional in my book extremely i'm going to put you on the spot here mark i'm going to give you a scenario talk us through how you would deal with it so i'm an under eight coach i have a squad of 10 because we're just about to move to under nine next season simon mentioned about staying on the ball mastering the ball dribbling running with the ball might be at that age group a relevant thing to focus on i've got a third of an astro what do i do i want to i want to um design and develop a practice that's going to help them to stay on the ball master the ball um and ex encourage them to dribble um by the way i'm driving to the session now yeah talk me through your process okay rectangle <coughs> i thought you might start with that with a halfway line and i'll, ex I'll explain why um so i think the whole thing about um, so there's the mechanics of give me contacts on the ball but the whole thing about dribbling and the whole thing about the game is recognition of time and space and recognition of opportunities and threats so if we set up a practice structure in where time and space is limited we can then think about the step principle to manipulate that practice so space task equipment and players and one of the benefits of having a halfway line in is i can manipulate the space without moving a single cone because i can play in the whole rectangle play in both halves um if the players can cope with that easily and again hopefully i'd know my players but sometimes you have new players or you don't know who's turning up without changing a single thing i can play in half the rectangle um and then things like um does everybody have to stay in the rectangle or is there a safe area where you know certain players can can move out of that and move back into it um do we have and again there's a game through the gate and there's variations on that um so whilst i'm dribbling around the area it's not just a random dribble i'm trying to achieve something whether it be score through a gate or get the ball to the other end so those would be key things i would look at um under eights one of the things they struggle with is that directly approach practice so i often see practices where the under eights under nines will work with um ball each no opposition and then they'll go into a 4v4 game so well done because it's 4v4 not 9v9 but i've seen that as well so playing with small numbers but actually 4v4 you'd be better off playing 6v2 and then rotating the two or 5v3 or some variation thereof so you manipulate the practice to the stage of learning that the players are at and this probably relates back to a previous point i made a bit earlier where we talked about do you need loads and loads of templates or do you just need a few variations and i think what sometimes we can get carried away with is give me more content without actually unpicking the what does this practice do for me and the players or you know what can i do with this practice um and that would be absolutely key to me so have a progressive and and linked series of practices that that allow players to work at their own level 
and again don't be frightened to split the groups in different ways so sometimes with friends sometimes uh, big ones on one pitch little ones on the other because the physical demands can dictate um, sometimes playing in a tight area sometimes playing in a big area so tight area we need to be good at staying on the ball bigger area we need to recognize and f know what it feels like to actually travel over distance um, and you know sometimes I might split it based on ability to say well this group over here in this rectangle are working on something different to this group over over here that's okay so if you were a maths teacher you might have three different groups um, table one's working on addition table two's working on subtraction table three's working on multiplication well if somebody can deal with addition no problem it doesn't make any sense to keep them there when they could be moving on to more demanding tasks such as subtraction or multiplication so I think manipulate the practices using the step principle to to kind of challenge and support players appropriately Simon we were talking before we hit record and you mentioned how important it is that coaches are open to critique so if I was going to take this almost like a cycle so Mark just talked us through a planning process how that may be then delivered in practice carrying on the analogy of an under eight squad how might I as the coach make myself open to critique to find out actually what did the players uh, get what did they enjoy what are some of the methods that coaches might use that could help them with that and bear in mind by the way we booked the astroturf six till seven and at seven o'clock there's a group of adults who come on after us and kick us off so we have literally got one hour um, we might have a little bit of pitch space at the side um, if they've got a whiteboard uh, one of the simple ways just to measure for under eights definitely is um, just put smiley face okay face sad face and just ask the players to tick in where they're sitting at that moment in time um, and now that could be quite daunting for younger ones to to tick in but that would be the start of the pro process because you you want to find out um, are they happy with the type of stuff that they've um, they, they've encountered this evening if they're not happy um, why not what could you have done better and I, I don't think it should happen at the end I don't think you should review uh, just at the end of the session how did everyone think it went it, it should be an ongoing process throughout the session you should be talking to them again and, and I think Mark mentioned it previously is read the mood of the group is this challenge too hard is it too easy has the tempo changed are we seeing too many um, mistakes errors or opportunities to learn based on how you view them and then asking the players is there anything I could do to make this harder easier could I change the size could I make it bigger for you um, do you want a time limit and just getting their feedback I think with under rates it has to be light so I remember when I used to work within community schemes and we'd run holiday courses you had to almost be a little bit of uh, a red coat buttons you had to engage them with different stories and scenarios that they can connect with so it's almost um, yeah we're going to do space invaders and we're going to do this and you're going to invade that place and 
it, it's almost getting the kids to create their own story in relation to well, what do we want this practice to be is this practice giving us what we want are we using our imaginations to be um, having fun but also learning something about traveling with the ball dribbling with the ball and if we're not what could we do with it because I think going back to the hidden curriculum stuff that if you dress it up in a game where there's a little bit of a story and I know we used to do one where um, you're taking your dog for a walk the dog is the ball the lead is your foot you're taking for a sprint getting it to sit getting it to stay if when you say dog warden you know they have to put their foot on the ball because if your ball's still moving and the dog's off the lead the dog wardens take your ball away from you uh, and kids will engage with that sort of um, storyline more than um, oh we're going to do dribbling tonight and this is what it's going to look like um, because there's a bit of fun they get to be a dog catcher they get to be someone who eludes the dog catcher and they can choose how that develops and uh, you can review with them because I would say that you would need several practices for under eights potentially or like Maya said a rectangle a halfway line some goals for them to then go and practice it in a smaller format it could be 2v2 3v3 um, with the direction now so we're not just multi-directional we're not just running around a, a boxed off area we're giving them some purpose um, to their practice I'm sure there's plenty out there that, or plenty that we've just discussed that the coaches out there can latch onto and, and recognise and, and help them. I've been furiously taking notes as we've been going through and we will link up some of the previous Boot Room articles. The One of the previous Boot Room magazines actually was completely devoted to practice design. We will we'll link that up in the show notes. If coaches want some more resources or some more ideas, almost like you referred to before, templates from which they can structure or scaffold practices further from. If coaches listening in, if you Google FA Vimeo uh, level one, you'll find a whole host of practices that we're using or templates rather that we're using on our level one course that we think coaches don't have to worry about numbers when they're when they're using so they can be just as effective with six players as they might be with 16. I want to just close up with some regular questions that the listeners have given us so these are questions that are quite short in nature but you can take as much or as little time as you want to answer them um, and Simon, we'll start with you first. So what have you seen or read recently that's impacted on you or your coaching? Um, there's a, a book called Nudge by uh, um, Thaler and Sunstein. I believe it's Thaler and Sunstein. And it's about how you use social nudges um, to get people to or influence people in their behavior. And one of the, the ones that's quite entertaining, you might have seen it on a Volkswagen advert, is... Um, a musical keyboard staircase or the escalator so the the nudge is to try and get people to not use the escalator and use the steps because of the returns for physical um, development you know and exercise and because it's fun interesting people will go up and down the stairs regular 
maybe three or four times playing a tune and it's those little nudges that I try and encourage people to use within their club setting rather than shouting and screaming at people how do I influence the behavior that I would like to see in kids what nudges do I have for them what nudges do I have for parents and I think I've seen some great ones on Twitter um, remember this is a game for kids these are volunteers this is a referee who's volunteering which are fantastic to remind people again of the setting where they're working and the behaviors we would like to see people exhibit and they can definitely do that within their coaching practice so one of the the social the social corner of the four corner model socialization um, what would be the behaviors I would like people to have as good citizens on and when they're with me for that hour a week do I want them to be well-mannered do I want them to accept and embrace challenge do I want them to be kind-hearted to each other whatever the, the values and beliefs that someone holds dear to them how do they start to get them social nudges into you know their young people so then they go away feeling that the experience they've had with football is not just football based it, it, it's wider and goes beyond that um, so, skill acquisition, I referenced Damien Farrow. Um, um, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the car and listened to quite a few podcasts. There's one out there called Perception Action Coupling, mm. um, which, you know, is very psychology-driven. Not probably for everybody, but there are some decent nuggets in there so Damien Farrow does a recent podcast on their perception action coupling and that is some yeah that's something I listen to myself it's probably for the listener who likes the in-depth scientific analytic approach would that would you agree Mark yeah I think that would be fair um, but linked to that um, so Farrow's looking at uh, how do we develop um, different practice structures to support learning and player development um, I mean they, they do he has edited a book called developing sports expertise which is very readable because it gives a perspective from academic research but then links it to a practicing coach and says what does this mean in, in plain plain English or plain language to you so that's quite a good one um, recently did a bit of research around behavior management for a workshop I delivered in Sussex and what stood out for me there was uh, as a little mini project to delve into it was very interesting what stood out to me was 95% of the issues with behavior management are down to adults whether they be parents what the parent does or what the coach does as opposed to what the child does so if things aren't going well probably the first person to look at would be ourselves and go is there anything I could have done better um, so so this idea that the kids aren't good enough probably isn't good enough as an excuse when we're reflecting on why the practice didn't work now sometimes kids can be challenging i get that but yeah in my experience let's look at what the adults are doing first and the final one in terms of um you know uh, uh, for those coaches that are into the advanced technical tactical there's a book kyle by a guy called jed c davis called in shadows of bielsa and it looks at the philosophy of marcello bielsa the the um uh, Chile coach Argent Argentinian Chile coach and he's going to be working in France next year so will be interesting and what stands out there is um, the why in terms of the coaching philosophy comes first and every single practice there's a reason for it and it fits in with that philosophy because probably the thing about professional football is the coaches at the top levels have less time to practice and train with their players than one might typically imagine because of the you know the the demands of playing saturday wednesday saturday for example so yeah that that would be well worth a, a, an investment of your your time and money 
Brilliant, Mark. Next question, you might as well keep the mic, seeing as you've got it. What's the best investment that you've made in yourself that has had an impact on your coaching? Okay, so two aspects. Uh, a long, long time ago, 20... Sounds like I'm about to break into song, doesn't it? No, <laughs> it's not that kind of show. Um, so probably my A licence some um, 20, 20, 25 years ago. Um, and again, what that gave me was a clear process of how to structure practices in a logical, methodical, sequential order, which I think is a good, good discipline. And again, coming from a teaching background, that also helped with that. I don't necessarily think we should always stick to that rigid structure, but to have that process and, and that discipline is quite useful. Um, probably more recently, um, I'm just, uh, as part of the support that the FA are giving us, we're doing a, a project around coaching, a, you know, a postgraduate, look at the research world of coaching, but it's great because it's applied to what we do. It's not theoretical. So I'm very big on give me information that I can use to help me be better and help coaches be better less interested in in academia for academia's sake so that's been brilliant in terms of opening my eyes one of the biggest changes for me is a few years ago probably less than that even quite dogmatic in terms of tell them how it should be done and what i'm realizing is coaching's complex and there's more than one way to solve the problem and it also relates to um where the coach works so the under you know there, there's some common things that we would say about coaching that you know these are good practice ideas so part art part science but there's some things that will be general that would apply to any coaching environment there are other things that will vary wildly based on where you coach who you coach and why they come to practice so you're the under eights grassroots coach or you're the under 18 academy coach that's going to look different and and those would be big things that that i've taken on board recently for myself um jack the, the same question um i've done numerous coach education courses across the years across a variety of sports and also when i used to work within youth work and trying to get disengaged teenagers into the into games into sports um, I learned lots of things from street games and uh, the different ways to engage with people. But I, I think that the number one thing that I've learned throughout all of that is just being resilient and just wanting to keep learning and keep plugging away. I don't think there is one one thing um, that has had the biggest impact. It's a series of little things which get you to consider. So even just a, a tweet that someone might put out which takes you to a research paper or just challenges your perceptions. And I think one of the things coaches should try and do if they can is um, try not to always source information that confirms your own bias challenge yourself to read things that um, actually challenge your point of view and are backed up with um, some sort of evidence as well to say well actually there's some thoughts and beliefs that this is the way so then you can rationalize well why why do I believe in what I believe in um, because I believe that ultimately players are people if you want to get the best out of people players you have to understand them, you have to individualise it, you have to make it bespoke to them so they feel special, so they feel, no, this, some, this person cares um, and wants to help me get better because if it just comes across as you're only in it for yourself and it's all about the result and they're just pawns 
to help you um, achieve that goal, then um, you're missing the trick. So going back to that letter to your younger self stuff, you know, I, I, I look back and a, a young player, I used to um, have great kids around the squad, but I was, that, I was that coach back when I was 21 who would only let him play when we were 3-0 up with five minutes to go. And I think, well, what did I do to that, that young lad? You know, I, I could have done so much more to help him get better, but because I was chasing results at that younger age and not thinking about, well, if I get all of these players to a great standard, people are going to recognise me as a coach who can develop lots of players and not just one. Um, and it's not just one player in the technical or the tactical corner or physically, it's a, a bigger overview of that. It's developing with people and it's almost, um, people would go away and, and say, well, that's a Simon Millington player because you can tell that you've, you've had some sort of impact on them around the manners that you would like and the, the way they conduct themselves. Win, lose or draw, I think that's more important. Some great advice there that I think coaches listening in will really be able to learn from and it's a reminder that we shouldn't be married to our ideas and that we should be open to information that challenges us and makes us feel uncomfortable and that's really important in our growth and development and journey as, as we go through. Last question before we wrap up. Simon, what have you changed your mind about with regards to your own coaching? Um, well, I think I've referenced it already. The biggest change was um, telling and saying you must do this and this is what successful players look like um, and it's structured and it's linear and it looks great and the parents are happy because they can see me be de demonstrative going to a more subtle approach setting challenges setting problems for people to try and overcome and it's a lot longer term and it takes more planning but I think the benefits of it will be far better in the long term than instructing. Instructing's easy, and if people think that's coaching, then I think they've got the wrong view of coaching. Coaching is about, for me, for developing people from where they were to a better place, holistically, rather than, you know, I've got you to shut down a player because I've instructed you. Okay, for me, so um, don't have to be in control of everything my way is a way not the way so there's there's more options out there for coaches to explore and probably the develop relationships before you develop your practices would would be key um so i can't remember where i heard it, it comes from america which may not translate brilliantly but coaching is more about jills and joes than x's and o's and that's a phrase that you know, we might not use in this country, but it does sum it up for me in terms of develop the relationship with the players and then develop the practice off the back of that. I think that's the shortest answer that Mark's ever given in his life, is it so? <laughs> He's celebrating. Mark Lee, Simon Millington, can't thank you enough. This has been absolutely fantastic. I've learned so much from, uh, from being around you and, and listening to what you've got to say. If coaches out there want to connect with you or learn more about what they're doing, Simon, you mentioned Twitter. I'm guessing that you're on there. Username would be? At F-A-C-C-D underscore Kent. Cheers. It's, uh, what, what time are we? Ten past eight. It's 25. 25 past eight. We're in 
hour late for tea so we'll get in there and uh, get ourselves fed and watered thank you guys cheers thanks chef brilliant thanks for listening if you enjoyed the show please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode you can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1 and don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA see you next time